Let me encourage you to take your Bibles. We are going to go to Mark chapter 14. Today we're going to start reading at verse 12. We are in the last couple chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we have made our way through the, the Passion Week of Christ's sacrifice. And now we have arrived at Thursday. There's a lot that's about to happen. <laughs> I don't know about you, uh, but Mark's gospel, I just really felt it's a bit of a roller coaster, right? There are these incredibly high moments of seeing the, the deity of Christ being displayed in beauty and majesty in the lives of the people around him. Um, there are these amazing moments of, of God's power being revealed through His Son. Uh, his healing power, His, his, his authority over uh, the demonic, over spiritual forces. His, his wisdom and His ability to be able to cut to the very heart of issues in people's lives. It's, it's amazing to see these high points, but so often those high points, Mark juxtaposes them to these low, low moments of human sin, of human frailty, of human weakness. And it's been this up and down journey through this whole gospel, through the life of Jesus. And today, the passages that we're going to be looking at capture both of those. The, the high, amazing moments of the deity of Christ. And then the brokenness, the rebellion, and the, the sinfulness of humankind. Uh, let's start reading at Mark chapter 14 and verse 12. And so it was on the first day of the unleavened bread's feast, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and there will be a man carrying a jar of water who will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There... Prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. Very reminiscent of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Uh, the same kind of uh, ability to be able to recognize what the future was. It, it's almost as, and, and there was a number of commentaries that I, that I read this week uh, that, that suggested that he had already made these arrangements, that it all fell in so perfectly and it seemed to be so orchestrated that, that this must have been organized beforehand, that Jesus had made these arrangements. I would suggest to you that this is a revelation of Jesus 
godly nature, his divine being, to be able to know what the future has to hold. Not only know what the future has to hold, but, but has a plan and a purpose through it all. And just like he was able to tell his disciples about the cold that would be waiting for them there in Bethany, he now instructs his disciples to go and identify a, a man carrying a jar of water. Apparently that was quite odd. A man carrying a jar of water. <laughs> Apparently it was more the case that men would be carrying skins of water that they would be going to the well to just carry their own personal, but it would be the women who would be going to the well to to carry the big jars with all of the water for the household. So there was something that was odd about this. And that's how this, the disciples would recognize that, the, that they were supposed to, which, who they were supposed to follow. It wasn't like there was uh, 30 or 40 men carrying water bottles around. It was one guy in the whole city that they would see and recognize and be able to follow to the place that God had prepared for this Beautiful interaction between Jesus and his disciples. We're going to get into that next week. Um, but just this powerful, and, and we've seen this all the way through Jesus' ministry, right? That, that even though Jesus and his disciples had very few resources, for all intents and purposes, they were homeless, wandering. And yet, at every stage, at every moment, God supplied. God had their needs cared for and met. And it makes you wonder, why do we worry? <laughs> why do we get so wrought up when things aren't going the way that we think that they should be going? Even in the midst of all of the, the, the persecution and the, uh, the pressure that's coming against Jesus and his followers for the things that he's saying, the things that he's doing, the, the stance that he took in the temple of, of declaring that, that, that this was no longer accomplishing the purpose for which God had, had set it out to be. The, the rumors that were flying around that the, the chief priests, that the, uh, the, the biblical scholars, the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the civil leaders, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, that all of them were looking for a way to arrest him and destroy him. And yet even in the midst of all of this pressure against them, God's got them covered. God knows exactly what they need and has a plan for exactly how he will accomplish it in their lives. Why? Why do we worry? And we come to this high point in the roller coaster, and now we start descending down. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, 
one of you will betray me. One who is eating now with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Why would it have been better for, for the one to who would betray Jesus not to have been born? Because in the midst of his deliberate, intentional sin and rebellion against God, he would die in that condition and spend all of eternity separated from God and separated from all of the goodness of God. Jesus is, is speaking quite, quite clearly here again as he has throughout the gospel, throughout his ministry, warning of the terrible destiny of all of humanity. That if, if we continue in the, in the path and the direction that we are going, it, it would be better if we had never been born because of the, the suffering that we will endure if If something doesn't happen, if God doesn't intervene on our behalf. Have you ever, have you ever wondered, Judas was there, heard these words. Why didn't he stop? Why didn't he you take, take Jesus at his word to know that, that if he were to continue with this path, that it, it, would, it would lead to a, an eternal regret, an eternal suffering of punishment for his sin. It also shows us the incredible grace of Jesus to give him another opportunity. His love for him, that he didn't want him to, to have to go through all of that. To give him a chance to stop. To change his ways, to change his heart. To walk in relationship with him. It is, it is so easy for us to deceive ourselves. I, I do it to myself all the time when I'm faced with an opportunity to sin, to do something that I want to do. I am a genius at coming up with justification for why it is okay for me to follow that path that I know is wrong. 
There's always somebody else that I can point to, right? Because of, of what they have done to me, I have to follow this path. Or, or it's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. It's not, it's, in the whole scope of the sin of the world, this is just nothing. I'm fine. It's okay. I can imagine that Judas had some things running through his mind. And, and modern day scholars, I don't know, just modern day, probably throughout the history of the church, people have tried to understand what was Judas's motivation. Why would he do this? Why would he betray his Lord, the one that he had followed? And, and there are some, uh, some valid suggestions. There are some that's, that, that suggest that, that Judas was part of the, the, the zealot movement. Those people who, who were so opposed to the Roman Empire that they were planning some kind of revolt against the Roman occupation of Israel. And, and, and so Judas... Seeing Jesus, having followed him for these three years and seeing who Jesus is and, and recognizing him as the Messiah, hearing the words of Jesus, thought he's going too slow. We've got to make our movement. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to force the issue here so that he will then, in order to protect himself, he will establish his kingdom. And so he betrayed him in order to force Jesus' hand. There's other things that people have tried to, to suggest as, as far as what Judas' motivation is. And, and some of them might be right. I, I'm sure that Judas probably went through some of that stuff in his mind as well as he heard these words from Jesus that he somehow figured out a way that he could justify it. I know because we are so good at that can't tell you how many times I have sat down with people who are going through broken marriages and are justifying their actions because of what the other has done to them. And so it's okay that they are finding comfort in the arms of another because of what their spouse has done to them. And, 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 and people who, who would suggest that that they've actually never been closer to God than they have right now as they've pursued this relationship with this other person. It's foolishness. If you're able to step back and, and look at it, you recognize it as absolute evil, foolishness. But in that moment, we, we, we're so desperate, we just want to hear it. We just, that's what we want to hold on to. And somehow Judas, I'm sure, the deceitfulness of his heart was justifying continuing on in this path that he was going. You can also be sure that there was some pressure from other people in his life. As soon as he had gone, as we read in chapter uh, 13, about how he had gone to the chief priests and, and told them that he would be able to to let them know where Jesus was and he would be able to betray them. And they were excited and responded and said, we're going to give you some money for this and, and we're going to work out the deal. You can be sure that these guys were feeding those motivations, whatever lies Judas was telling himself to go through with this. You can be sure that those 
chief priests and the scribes were, were pressuring him and feeding and, and encouraging all of those evil thoughts and intentions and motivations that he had. We live in a world of broken people who, who are, who are uh, following after their sinful nature rather than following after the things of God. And they exert a lot of pressure on us. The silly example that, that I can remember when I was a kid. One of, one of the fights that I got in in elementary school was actually a, started when Rodney Schakowsky, a good friend of mine, and I just were after school or wrestling in the school yards, having fun, just kind of doing things that boys do, wrestling around. And then suddenly there was this crowd of other children around us yelling, fight, fight, fight. And suddenly, Rodney and I started throwing punches at each other. And it went from just having fun wrestling to all of a sudden, this was a fight. And the teacher that came, Mr. Cowan, I can still remember him coming, pushing through all the kids, grabbing the two of us, taking us into his classroom, sitting us down and said, what's wrong? What are you guys upset about? Nothing. <laughs> Well, why were you fighting? Everybody told us to. <laughs> right? The pressure that we feel from the world around us, from the people, pushes us to do things we would never otherwise do. And I'm sure that's part of what was pressuring Judas into the decisions and the choices that he was making and to ignore this warning from his Savior. John, in his gospel account, gives us even a, a more detailed rendition of this interaction between Jesus. In John 13, we read that, that when Jesus revealed that one of his twelve would betray him, John, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, leaned over and asked Jesus, Who? Who is it? And Jesus said, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And then... As he dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, John's Gospel records that as soon as he had taken the bread, Satan entered him. See, it's not just our own foolishness and justification that gets us into trouble. It's not just the, the pressure from the world and the people around us. There is an evil one. There is a, a spiritual evil that is all around us. That looks for those opportunities, those, those openings that we would give him to be able to come in and corrupt and to deceive and to push us to do things that we know we should not. We ignore those influences at our own peril. Because Satan is powerful. 
we think that we can just have this one little peak. Just this one little infidelity. Just this one little break of, of integrity. So we lie on our taxes a little bit and fudge the numbers. It's no big deal. Oh, that's exactly what Satan's looking for. A little bit of openness of sin and a little crack that he gets in and starts working and pressuring. I've got bad news. You are just as prone to the blindness of sin as Judas was. You have a deceitful heart that will lie to you, that will create all kinds of justifications for why that sin is okay, why it's no big deal. You are surrounded by a culture that is going in the exact opposite direction of what Jesus wants for us. And it will exert pressure on you. And Satan and his evil forces are just as much alive and active today as they were there in the upper room. The scripture is full of warnings about falling for temptation. Genesis chapter 4, Cain is warned that sin is crouching at the door, waiting to pounce. Proverbs is full of imagery of the way that sin entices us. Chapter 8 and 9, just as, as the, the author there is finished personifying wisdom as this woman who calls out to the symbol to to draw them in. Folly is then also personified and, and described as this seductive woman who lures those who would be foolish enough that, that stolen water is sweeter, that, uh, that, that uh, the excess of life is far better than sacrifice. In Luke chapter 22, when Peter has said that that even if everybody else would betray him, would reject him, would, would deny him, that he will stand with Jesus. And Jesus warns Peter that Satan has asked for you oh, that he may sift you. Peter then in his first letter writes about how Satan is a roaring lion prowling around to see whom he can devour. Paul gives us this warning in 1 Corinthians 10. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, there is none of us that is immune to those pressures, to that blindness towards our sin. But I've got good news. You are prone to the blindness of sin. But Jesus is that miracle worker who opens blinded eyes. And He will reveal to you the truth. 
He will show you the lies that are flying at you. And He will guide you in a path away from that sin. Just like blind Bartimaeus that we read about in Mark chapter 10. We need to cry for the mercy of the Son of God, the Son of David, to come and open our eyes so that we can see. We need to fix our eyes, as he talks about in in Hebrews, that we fix our eyes on, on the one who is the beginner, the initiator, and the finisher, the completer of our faith. The one who brings us from the start to the finish, that when we fix our eyes on Him, He guides us through to that end place, to new life in Him. By faith, trusting that He is leading and empowering us, we can then walk in obedience. This is good news for anybody who has received that grace, that free gift of grace that we were celebrating at the table. Anybody who has put their trust in Jesus and received Him as their Savior, received Him as the one who has paid the penalty for their debt so that they are now set free from that sinful nature, and can walk in relationship with Christ who will guide them into a place where they will know His truth and walk in His light. If you're trying to do this on your own, if you're trying to overcome your blindness on your own, you will fail. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can be set free from that blindness and walk in the newness of His heart. You need Jesus to give you a new heart and to guide you away from sin. Will you trust Him today? Let's pray. Just in the quietness of this moment, let me give you the opportunity that if you hear the calling of the Spirit in your life, that you want to be set free from that blindness. Let me invite you, just here in the calmness and the quietness, to be able to ask Christ to save you. To express in faith that you trust that His sacrifice has paid the penalty for your sin and you are ready to walk in His light and the newness of His sight that He will give you. There's no special words. There's no formula to it. It is just to be able to recognize, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I need You. So I trust in You to rescue me, to give me sight, to change my heart to lead me in a life that's pleasing and honoring to you. Let me just give you a moment just to pray that prayer of quietness of your heart.
for those who have already tasted of the goodness of God in their life and have received that gift of grace. Let me invite you to join that cry of blind Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Open my eyes. Help me to see. Jesus, there are so many pressures, so many forces at work in our lives that are pulling us away from you. But I know they have no power when you come and fill my heart. When you come and, and empower me to walk in your path. So Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on me, that you would open up my eyes to see, that I would know, that I would know the power of your transforming work in my life, that those justifications would fall away like such filth that they are, that the pressures of this world would be, would be powerless in my life. And that Satan's evil wickedness would, would bounce off the armor that you have clothed me. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that we 